This is Waves, a podcast of APTA Michigan. I'm Andy Wicks. For the past few episodes, we've heard stories from physical therapists on the front lines of the COVID-19 pandemic. These individual episodes were recorded in November 2020, just days before the second surge began to reveal itself. Today, we bring part one of a roundtable discussion with three clinicians, Drs. Evan Hazebrook, Stephanie Kasuka, and Courtney Witzak. Together, they talk about how the second surge affected their respective hospitals and what we as a profession learned through the daily struggles and victories. Well, at long last, welcome to the COVID roundtable, everybody. I was hoping we could all go around and introduce ourselves. Maybe we could start with you, Stephanie, and just kind of say your name, where you work, and maybe a fun fact. Okay. I'm um, Stephanie Kasuka. I am a physical therapist, uh, board certified cardiovascular and pulmonary specialist at the VA in Ann Arbor. I work in the cardiovascular and pulmonary residency program as well. So I do inpatient ICU and outpatient care. And fun fact is I'm horrible at technology. So the last year has been a nightmare for me. (laughs) And Stephanie, because I'm sure you didn't want to say this yourself, but we can brag about you. You received quite an honor this last year from APTA Michigan. Is that not correct? Uh, Yes, that's true. I was chosen as the outstanding physical therapy clinician for the state of Michigan for 2020, which would be kind of the irony of all ironies that I would win an award during a pandemic. That just kind of explains my life in a nutshell. So I have a very (laughs) wonderful colleague who some of you know, who nominated me for that award. And it it really was a a very just exciting thing for me. So yeah, thank you. We just want to make sure you're acknowledged. Yeah, we added in the individual episode, we had added that into your bio as well. Oh, geez, I must have missed that. Well, thanks. Yeah. Evan, can you give us same information about you, name, where you work, and a fun fact? Yeah. So my name is Evan Hazebrook. I work as an acute care physical therapist at University of Michigan Hospital in Ann Arbor. Aside from my acute care duties, I also staff in our post-intensive care follow-up clinic that is an outpatient follow-up clinic for ICU survivors. I am also a board-certified cardiovascular and pulmonary clinical specialist. And I work as a mentor in our cardiovascular and pulmonary residency program as well. My fun fact, I'm actually not from Michigan. I'm a native of Colorado and I've been living here about just shy of four years. So yeah, that's my my background. And Courtney, you're up next. Welcome to the podcast. Can you give us the same information, your first name, where you work, and a fun fact? Yes, my name is Courtney Witzak. I am a board-certified geriatrics clinical specialist, and I work at Beaumont Hospital, Troy. Um, I also am a a supervisor of critical care and the emergency center at Beaumont, and I am the APTA Michigan's Oncology SIGS Education Chair. Uh, My fun fact is Stephanie is one of my best friends, and she pushes me to do more fun things like join you people, you wonderful people on calls like this, but I am happy to be here and to kind of be a part of this podcast with you all. I was actually going to ask if you didn't mention it, how you and Stephanie knew each other, because I could tell you had a little bit of a background. 
Yes, Stephanie. Stephanie and I worked together when she was at Beaumont. When I came from U of M, she initially didn't like me. Now I'm one of her best friends. Okay, now that's a story that needs to be told, I think. She, it is right? It is not. She, it was, it's like. <laughs> I'm not saying it's going to make the episode. I just want to hear it. It was one of those, I had already been working in the hospital at that, you know, hospital for, I don't know, five or so years, four or so years and thought I was earning my keep. And then Courtney came over from University of Michigan and just kind of, I don't know, as only Courtney can, really took charge of a lot of programs and things that she saw that needed to be better, which took me quite a while to see was a good thing and was somebody who was going to push me to do better and, you know, really kind of up my game, so to speak. So initially there was some animosity there for, I, I felt like maybe her being on my turf and, and taking my ground, but we resolved that. And then kind of both ended up, I think where we wanted to be. And then I was offered an opportunity at, at the VA in the residency program. And, and so I left Beaumont roughly three years ago. So she's been upset with me ever since for leaving her. It's a good story. It's a good story. <laughs> it is a good story. Iron sharpens iron. Exactly. I think that's how some of the best friendships are formed. Yeah. And now here we are. So I spoke with Stephanie and Evan back in November before we had sort of had another wave of COVID come in. So I I wanted an update from all of you of how did things go as the number of cases kind of ramped up over over the winter. So we never saw the numbers hit as high as they had hit in the springtime, thankfully. We were about... 50% at our fall or second wave peak that we were in the, the previous first initial wave. So we actually approached things a little bit differently. You know, in the, the first wave, we were forced to essentially recruit everyone in our department who could to help take care of our COVID patients. But during the second wave, we actually formed more of like a COVID specific team that would manage all of the COVID consults from around the hospital. And then we would rotate that team out every two weeks. So initially we started with clinicians who could quite literally rotate to every single unit, including the ICU and the hospital. And then after that, we created teams that where folks could kind of bounce and fill holes wherever they were needed. Unfortunately, we were never really able as a hospital to cohort our COVID folks on one particular unit. So we would have folks that had a primary neurologic diagnosis. So they were housed on the neuro unit and had COVID, or they might be in our surgical ICU or on any number of our general medicine units. So we actually found that worked really well because it allowed the bulk of our staff to not worry about having to work directly with COVID patients during the second wave. And then for the folks who were involved with the COVID team, they, they were at least given a spell that, you know, you kind of put in your two weeks and then you were able to, to take a break from that and we got a lot of really good feedback from that. And then uh, the last thing is that we luckily, we were kind of hitting our peak right around Thanksgiving and slowly, progressively declined from there to the point where we're at now, where we have about 25 or so folks admitted currently and about five or so, which are ICU status. So numbers at U of M are looking much better at this point, which has been encouraging. 
That's interesting, Evan, that you talk about this kind of rotating in, rotating out schedule. And you and you said that it had a lot of positive feedback. Can, can you tell us a little bit about why was it was it a it just kind of minimized or mitigated some of the mental and emotional toll, or was it just keeping things fresh? Can you go talk a little more about that? Definitely. I think that 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 was a big part of it. Is you know as we were going through the summer and early in the fall, everyone on our team. If you were managing on a unit, you would have, you know, your kind of like your normal state caseload, and then you would have potentially one or two folks with COVID as well. And I think staff were having a little bit of trouble of, you know, how do I manage my day? How do I make sure I take care of what I need to? And also make sure that I'm seeing our folks with COVID at an appropriate time. And I think that although we've, we've had the PPE, and I think on a certain level, we've gotten comfortable working with this population there's still a, an underlying level of stress involved. And so when we were able to essentially take that off of fo- folks' minds for a period of time, I think that helped when they weren't working with our COVID team. And when they were on the team, I think they actually enjoyed being able to f- just really focus in on this diagnosis, this patient population. For a handful of therapists, it was something that was pretty novel for them. So a chance to learn a little bit and kind of function in a way that they weren't weren't accustomed to. So yeah, it was, I think all in all, it was a good management model for the time being. And luckily we never hit the numbers that we had to expand out of that again. Stephanie and Courtney, did you guys have a similar experience through November, December, January? I'll, I can go next just to, because I think mine ironically is almost... I mean, similar, I guess, to to what Evan was saying as far as the numbers not being nearly as bad as the spring per se, but our plan of action was almost exactly the opposite. And I think the major difference was that we did have a dedicated like COVID unit. So all of the COVID positive patients were housed in one similar location where they had, whether they were ICU status or just, you know, general medical status. So, you know, the numbers weren't quite as, as overwhelming per se. We were able, because the VA is much smaller, to to basically man it with one therapist. So again, that therapist just had to go to that one unit. So you knew where your day was going to be. You still had to prioritize patients because at various points in time, there were more than you could, you know, see in a given day, you know, 15, 18 patients per se. But you you kind of could you you were the main therapist there so i you know i worked for in the covid unit for the end of november and then all through december and and honestly we had kind of maintained a rotation by month up until that point and as luck would have it december was was kind of my turn and everybody so that's just kind of how it happened, which was fine. It was, you know, it was my turn to go back. So at least being the same therapist that was there every day, I knew, oh, I didn't get to this person yesterday, so I'm going to prioritize them for the next day. And really trying to, the, the harder part, honestly, was kind of getting the nurses geared up again that, hey, we need your help. We can't just put 80-year-old patients, you know, who even maybe aren't that sick, but you can't put them in a hospital room for a week or two weeks and not, you know, get them up or do activity with them. They're going to, you know, decline. So it really, it wasn't from the kind of emotional, mental strain of it per se. It wasn't necessarily even the patients and and their burden with them, although we did have quite a few very sick patients, but it was trying to, to really kind of just emphasize again to nursing that, 
these patients need help. You need to just kind of go in. I'm not going to be able to go in every single day, but you need to be able to go in and get them out of bed and help them, you know, do at least some standing and some basic activity. Otherwise, they're still going to come out and, you know, after their hospital course and still continue to need therapy and rehab if we're just not helping them move whatsoever. And with the VA, just specifically, I'll, we ended up throughout the, the fall and, and really the summer through the fall and continuing now because there are other VA facilities across the state, they transfer any COVID positive patients to the Ann Arbor campus. So we kind of are able to facilitate sending our rehab patients out, but we do get all the COVID positive patients. So it's kind of always a, a number that's in flux, but it's it's something that we at least have that dedicated space and then could kind of man that a little bit easier. Um, I'll go next. Beaumont Hospital Troy is around a 600 bed hospital and much smaller since even when I worked at the you know, U of M hospital, but we were at one point almost 90% COVID beginning of April, May. And we only had maybe one unit that was not COVID. So maybe about, you know, 30, 40 patients. I think coming up in the fall, many clinicians, myself included, and our ICU team that initially went in to these patients almost had a PTSD aspect of it saying, I can't believe this is happening again. We would walk down the hallways and you just see unit after unit flip over to COVID you know, have ICU patients on general medical floors, have two or three vents in a room at a time, have portable vents. They would count vents and say, okay, we don't have enough. What are we going to do? We were transferring patients out to the VA as well. I think, you know, I think a lot of it is we did very similar to what Evan and Stephanie said is dedicated therapists, but I staff around 19 PTs and PTAs on our acute care staff a day. And I was staffing at least nine of them to see full caseloads of 13 patients a day COVID. We hit numbers very high again, not as high as March, April, May of 2020, but very, very advanced. We still have a significant number, even at a smaller hospital. We Today, I think the count was around 62, two ICUs full and a few gen meds. But in progressive care, it's... It, you know, it's it's still lingering in some of the hospitals. I think that's the hardest part is, like Stephanie said, it's a compassion fatigue aspect. It's a resilience and grit of your therapist to go in there every day, but rotations help, I think. And we try not to, if you're in COVID on Monday, we try not to put you on COVID on Tuesday. Sometimes that's not an option, but making that fair rotation so it's equitable amongst the team and trying to train everybody who's medically able to go into those rooms. I think your comment on covid lingering kind of hits home you know like i said our our numbers luckily are really coming down in ann arbor but i i i really feel like that describes this second wave really well as it just feels like it just kind of continues to drag out and everyone can feel that and i do think that some of our nursing and respiratory therapy colleagues and even some of our physicians who have been asked to staff more frequently than they normally would there, there, you can feel that, that kind of that, that feeling of linger and this kind of dragging out that, that everyone's going through right now. It's interesting to hear you guys talk about that because as I am looking through the news and seeing what seems like great news about more vaccines in the public, dropping case numbers you know we just recently kind of relaxed some of the guidelines in the state with more relax with more probable relaxations coming up but to hear you guys talk about that 
in your hospitals, you are still very much in the thick of it. It's certainly not something that you dealt with in the past. It's something that you're dealing with now. It's interesting just to kind of hear the disparity between, I think, what some people or what probably most of the people see in the public or hear about in the public and what you are seeing very much in the front line of of the healthcare industry. Yeah, and that's, I think that definitely plays into the consideration for, you know, your mental health and, and well-being. And it's, you know, it's a constant battle of letting yourself kind of relax somewhat and and enjoy normal, I, you can't see it, but I, I put that in quotes, normal, you know, daily activities or things you would want to do with what makes the most sense and what's the best choice, you know, and then basically in, in stark contrast to what you do and what you see every day at work, it's something that if people haven't seen it themselves, you know, you can't really open their eyes to it. You know, the best course of action, I think, is to try and have everybody just be more empathetic to, you know, what everybody else has has gone through. Certainly, I know it's just a very, like, different perspective. For example, I I went to the mall over the weekend because I, I selfishly wanted to get a pair of sunglasses with some money I had from Christmas. And I almost straight on one barely went inside because the parking lot, you know, conveyed that there was a large amount of people inside. My husband had to kind of encourage me that it would be okay. We were just going to be breezing past people. We weren't going to be stopping and spending a lot of time with anybody or, you know, exposing ourselves and we had our masks and what have you, but it was just dumbfounding to me that there was so many people in the mall and you see them sitting in the food court and nobody has a mask in the food court and the older people, younger people, children. And it, it was nerve wracking. It was, it was, you know, panic wrenching for me. So we, you know, we were in and out in 20 minutes and I, I have made pretty much made it my vow. I'm, I'm not going back anytime soon. I just couldn't handle it. So I think it's, but then not faulting any of those people for being there, you know, because that's something maybe they feel they need to do to, to maintain their sanity. It's, it, it's a very like tricky predicament to be in. Yeah, I'm right there with you with feeling very uneasy about going into any public space right now. That, But I think we working in healthcare definitely have a different perspective than people who do not work in healthcare and don't have this daily exposure to it. And they're fatigued. They're tired of hearing of it. And like you said, Stephanie, you know, they need a measure of sanity. And if that means going to get a Starbucks at the food court in the mall with their friends, then maybe that's the risk they're willing to take and hopefully they'll be okay. One thing I was curious about is as the vaccine became more widely available, did that impact your daily lives or the care in the hospital at all as staff members were getting vaccinated or even now members of the public are getting vaccinated? I'll start. I I think the vaccine is you know, we held, they always offered it to healthcare workers first. I took mine in December. I had my second shot very early on in second, you know, of January. I feel like as soon as multiple people, healthcare workers were getting vaccinated, they've relaxed their, I guess, tedious cleaning or hand washing, or you, you saw face shields get removed. I don't know how many emails I've received that says you need a mask and a face shield, you know, 
please remember to tell your staff masks and face shields as they got, even if you are vaccinated. I think once they, we just opened up our doors back just last week to visitors. You'll see visitors, you know, with no masks walking patients come in. They're not putting their masks on as soon as people walk in. I think people are starting to get more lax. And I don't know if it's just myself, but I feel like this is not going to go well. It's We're going to hit another another peak in another wave of patients because we're just, our guards are going down a little bit. It's interesting to hear you say that because I feel like in most of my coworkers in an outpatient clinic, we most of us were able to get vaccinated in January and we always talk about how it doesn't really feel like life changed too much after like pre and post vaccine. Like maybe you're a little bit less worried that you personally might get COVID, but like day to day, my actions haven't changed that much. So it's a little disheartening to hear you say that that's not true, maybe across the board. I think, you know, I first saw it in one of our ICUs has that has been, COVID or medical surgical ICU has been COVID since March 2020, has not switched over to a non-COVID unit. And you see the burnout of the nurses and the nurses switching units, but then you'll see them at times or docs or or mid-levels sitting at the computer with all their, you know, PPE that they just came out of a COVID room on. And you're, you shake your head, you're going, oh my God, where, where did we, where did we fail on you know, standard precautions at some point, or why are we so lax, you know, and that's just at one, one hospital, I can't imagine how it is where they don't have the PPE still, or they, or the, you know, the food court at the mall, like Stephanie said, you know, you almost want almost, for myself, it's fear of another, another peak in the wave. And at the same time, I do feel like I have, I do have compassion for that feeling, as we were talking about of, fatigue or just being tired, even though logically that's not, that's probably what a lot of people know they shouldn't be doing, or maybe it's not. I do feel like I try to have a certain degree of compassion for not being able to maintain that vigilance all the time. Yeah, I I think I would agree. I think that people are feeling kind of worn out and that's across the board. As far as day-to-day as a staff member goes, within our department, I would, I don't know, I, I don't think things have changed dramatically with how we approach safety just because we're vaccinated. I think there's just not enough information out yet, and the culture of our team right now is that we're still waiting for that. But I, I do agree that there's, it feels like there's this under-the-surface tension of like, okay, when 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 are we going to be able to to really relax on things and i it feels a little bit like we're just waiting in any day now that that's really going to start to slip but hopefully not but we will see yeah i think it's interesting cuz we're coming up here on you know the one year mark of when things started to roll out and happen and you know i still remember okay it's just going to be 2 weeks long we can all get through 2 weeks and it was just two more weeks and so i you know completely empathize with the people who are, you know, just confused at how two weeks turn into a year and the idea that there's, you know, no tangible end in sight. I can absolutely empathize with people on that. I think the, you know, the main thing is, and, and it's hard, like Courtney even said, and I know I said it when I had talked with Catherine the first time that, you know, the 2020 was a blur. So 
you know, there's certainly large parts of it that I don't remember. And I was, I was searching for an email the other day, something that had happened last year in the spring and a colleague had asked me and I was looking for something. So I was trying to search through my email, which was a nightmare. And, and I came across an email that one of the anesthesiologists had sent to our, you know, our director, because again, they, she didn't know how to get in touch with me directly, but we had gone in and it was a patient who right, you know, beginning of April that we went into the area and the PACU that they had converted into an ICU and we got a woman up on the vent and one of the first patients that we really mobilized just said, hey, that's it, you know, we're going in and just her, her gratitude and the comment that she made in the email though, and it kind of just brought me back to that was that this was a great day for this patient and what a great day for morale for our team and you know we we're so so excited to see see this happen and and it really just brought me back to that that time and place and it was certainly one of the more vivid memories that i have had overall but even thinking about the rest of the hospital personnel and the and the fact that this physician who i do have a you know a relationship with professionally regardless but even taking the time to say hey you guys really helped boost the morale of the team by showing us that this woman could do something and she was, you know, seemed like if your patient's sitting on the side of the bed, they were doing better than laying in the bed on the vent. And that was progress. And, and the fact that that was a year ago is just ridiculous to me. So it's, I, I had said as well to, to a colleague a couple of weeks ago that, that I kind of felt like I've settled into a new normal, which was good physically. My body has certainly handled or not handled well the stress of 2020. So physically having down to kind of a more of a routine at work and the, the rapid changes have kind of settled down, you know, now it's just kind of, yeah, the expectation of this is what you wear, this is what you do, this is what you don't do, this is how often you clean things and what have you. But so I, I, I kind of had said that I've entered into, it feels like a new normal and I guess that's good, but mentally my brain is still like internally screaming, no, 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 this can't be normal. I don't want this to be normal. And, and kind of asking each other, do you think we'll ever work in a hospital setting and not have to wear a mask at work? And I, I legitimately think the answer is no. I think that that's going to be it for the next, even once COVID, so to speak, is kind of like linger down. I, I don't know. I feel like that's going to be with us for years. So it, it's getting my mental self to agree with what the routine is and what the expectation is. And it's, it's absolutely hard to do. It's very difficult. What Stephanie's not telling you is she was so proud and she's like, that's what I do. I get patients up on the vet. I get patients up. I remember that conversation myself with you years, months ago, feel like a year ago, but you're like, that's what we do. That's what we're made to do as PTs in the ICU. You just get them up and you move them. Yeah, I actually, for that specific instance, and I knew it was more that they needed it for their morale, but overall I was mad because I had been working on this early mobility project for for years and they weren't really like helping or participate. And then of all things, a global pandemic and pack you nurses that don't normally even move their patients. They just like, you know, well, I'm not going to venture to guess what they do because I probably will get it horribly wrong and it'll be disrespectful. But 
you know, they don't move their patients in the PACU and they were like all about it. Like, oh yeah, I'll get all my stuff on and you want me to what? You want me to hold this tube and you want me to move this leg? Yeah, all right, I got it. And I was, yeah, super raging mad after that actually because I I didn't feel like it should take a pandemic to, to show what I already knew was important in patient care. But it did help make a lot of advances in our early mobility program by us just walking in and doing and showing, but it was, it was a lot of hard work, but yeah, I, I might've vented to Courtney that I was quite upset at the time and I wanted them to stop treating me like I was a cupcake. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not a cupcake. Oh my gosh. You are not a cupcake, Stephanie. Waves is a podcast of APTA Michigan. It is recorded, edited, and produced by Katherine Klein, Hayden Ray, and me, Andy Wicks. You can find and subscribe to Waves wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Waves Physical Therapy and you should find us. We are on social media at A-P-T-A-M-I Waves and online at aptami.org slash podcasts. We would love to hear from you. Today's guests were Drs. Evan Hazebrook, Stephanie Kasuka, and Courtney Witsack. Stay tuned for the conclusion of our roundtable discussion in our next episode. Thank you for listening. And may your documentation always be done on time.